Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I have the privilege and the joy to read the scripture for you. Uh, It's taken from a passage in Luke 7, and it's verses 36 to 50. And the title of the passage is called Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, but she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love is shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. Morning. How y'all doing? Hey, great. Nosebleeds way up there. Good. Awesome. Awesome. So yes, yes. Young people always in the back row. Hey, well, I want to share a story with you from a few years ago. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I uh, got married and we were newlyweds. Any newlyweds in the crowd? Yeah. Okay. One. Any, any soon to be married? Yeah. You don't know what's coming. It's going to be awesome. So, uh, I mean, being a newlywed is amazing and awful at the same time, right? Because it's like you're newlyweds. It's great. But then it's also like you went from seeing the highlight reel to the behind the scenes blooper reel. You know what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden it's just like, they don't have time to prep for the date and shower. It's just like, you're seeing them all the time. You're seeing all their flaws. You're seeing the imperfections. It's, it's great and awful at the same time. And so for me and my wife, it was kind of like a shock to the system because all of a sudden you're now living with someone who is pointing out all your flaws all the time, right? And so one day my wife comes to me and she's like, you have, and she just decides to announce one of my few flaws. She says, You have no relational tact, Mark. And I said, what's relational tact? 
And she's like, exactly. She's like, you have no bone in your body that is run and fueled by relationships. Like your friends leave town, you're like out of sight, out of mind, right? Like you, do, you have no need to call. And there's never a call from Mark that's like, hey, no, no, no agenda, just calling to see how you're doing. Like you never do that. You never just check in with people. You're not relational. Another example she gave, she's like, you're not hospitable. She's like, we'd be going to someone's house, you know, driving there for dinner late, one of her flaws, okay, and uh, be, be going down, and she'd be like, pull over. I'm like, why are we late? She's like, no, no, we need to get a hostess gift. I'm like, what's a hostess gift? She's like, it's a gift you bring the host when, you know, they invite. I'm like, listen, they invited us over. This is their turn to work and clean and cook, and we relax this time. Next time they come to our house, we cook and clean and fight, and then they show up, and we smile. That's, that's our burden day, right, but not this time. This is our, you know, get out of jail free card. She's like, you have no relational tact. And another, another one, she, like, she's so relational. She's like relationships on steroids. She's just like, she loves people. What does that say about me? I don't know. But anyway, so she loves people so much. Like people go to the hospital, and not even like serious, like just a day surgery. And she's like, we got to go and be there when they wake up. We got to have their favorite chips and flour. Like we just have to be there just to support them. And I'm like, come on. Come on, I know this is hard to hear a pastor say, like, who wants to go to the hospital? But I'm like, I don't want to go visit them in the hospital. Okay, just being honest, it's a safe space, right? Okay, so I'm like, I don't want to go. But I have, it's, it's not because I'm not relational, it's because I'm logical, okay? Because, I mean, let's be honest, okay? When your friends go for day surgery, of course, the specialist is never in the hospital next door to your house. It's always on the other side of town. And not only is it on the other side of town, but the time they get out of surgery is always, for some reason, rush hour. So it takes you an hour and a half on the 401 to get to this hospital. You finally find the room. They're just waking up. They're like on the drugs and you're like, hey, how was it? And they look at you and say the same thing I'm going to say to everyone who asked that dumb question because it's like, I don't know, I was under, right? Like I was drugged. Like how do I know how it was? And then, you know, you have to pay like mad amount, like $9 an hour for parking. And then like within 10 minutes, the doctor comes in and he's like, shh, they need to rest now. And they kind of shoo you out. Within 15 minutes, you're back in your car, but you're still paying an hour for parking, right? And then you have to drive back across the city in rush hour. It's awful. And so I'm like, that's why, babe. It's not because I'm not loving. It's because I'm logical and efficient, right? That's, that's it, okay? So anyways, so, so years, you know, a little bit later in that, that year, we're having dinner with a dear friend of mine, uh, Stephen Zodage and his wife, Joanne. Some of you may know them. And uh, Stevens and I have a special relationship. We go back way, way back to like 13 years old. I was a youth lead, a youth, he was my youth leader. Later on, he became the youth pastor. Then he became a mentor to me. And he's, he's someone who, you ever heard that phrase, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone? That's kind of what he did for me. He just poured into me, loved me, cared for me. He'd call all the time, how are things going? It's not what he did for every youth in the program, but he just really decided, you know, I'm going to go all out with this one kid. And in fact, one time, I remember, he's like, hey, Mark, I just want you to know, I love you, man. And it was, I was kind of torn. I was 16, and I'm like, I haven't had a girl tell me that yet, right? Like, what, what do I do with that? Like, thanks. Didn't, didn't reciprocate. Took me a few years to get back, right? But it was just like, I did, he was just so caring, so loving. It was just this amazing relationship. And so, you know, this first year of marriage now, we're hanging out. Now our wives are hanging out. And Stevens and I, we're kind of sitting there like old men. And we're just like, yeah, remember back in the day? Remember that? Remember this time you broke your leg? And we're just kind of like laughing and telling all the good old days like we're old men or something, right? And telling these stories. And then all of a sudden he's like, remember that time I almost died? And I'm like, yeah, man, I remember. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my wife's like, I'd never heard this story. And we start telling the story of this time where something, I'm not a medical doctor, you should be thankful for that, something in his throat was going bad. It was growing and he was not able to breathe. So they took him to the hospital and emergency surgery, they took something out. I don't know what they took out, his throat, something. Okay, so they removed something from his throat and uh, he's telling the story to my wife and he's like, and you know, of the hundred youth that were in the youth program and you know, and all of them came every single week and loved me, he said only one of them came to the hospital. She said, oh, who is that? He said, Mark. To which she said, no. 
He said, yeah, yeah. And then he started telling her the story of how I went to the hospital because I wasn't driving yet, didn't have a car. And this hospital, of course, was on the other side of the city. And so he tells the story of how I, you know, got on a bus with a map because we didn't have GPS back then, didn't have phones. I got lost, took different buses. Then finally I thought, I think that's a hospital. It has an H sign on it. So I dinged the bell, jumped off the bus, but there was no road. I, I was still totally far away from the hospital. So I climbed down a snowy hill. This is no exaggeration, okay? It's not your father telling you a story of his childhood. But down a snowy bank, across the river, I skipped over stones, middle of winter, across the river, up the snowy hill, and then I was in a parking lot to the hospital, and thankfully it was the right one. And he tells a story of how I went in. His mom was there. She came all the way from Montreal. It was serious. And, you know, I'm there for about 10 minutes with him, and just like, hey, man, how's it going? Good, good. And within about 10 minutes, I'm like, hey, man, the nurse told me there's only two visitors and you're a self-proclaimed mama's boy. She's not going anywhere. So I'll take a hit and I'll leave and, you know, love you lots. See you soon. And then I, you know, left the hospital down the ravine, across the river, up the ravine, on the bus, in rush hour, all the way back to my side of the city. We get in the car and my wife turns to me and she says, what in the world got into you? Like, all this time you've been holding out on me, all this time I've been trying to force you, coerce you, like, I'd pay you if I could to be relational, and you will not be relational. And then I hear that you've just been holding out on me this whole time, that you can actually love someone. (laughs) What would motivate this? What would do this? Like, who forced you? Who coerced you? Like, what is the factor that led to this? And I said, it's easy, babe. He loved me. He loved me. You see, as human beings, people can tell us over and over and over again to do something. You know, do this, do that, and there's a policy, and there's a rule, and there's a curfew, and we fight against it, and we push it back against it. But isn't it true, isn't it true, isn't it true, this very simple principle, that all of us want to live in response to love? That all of us want to live in response to love. There's nothing in us that gets excited for policies. There's nothing in us that gets excited for rules. There's things that we just wouldn't do. In fact, people offer us money. It's like, I don't want to do that. But when in response to love, human beings will do things that you would never expect them to do because there's something in us that wants to live not in response to rules, but in response to love. You know this. I mean, think back to high school, or maybe you're in high school. You think back to some of the teachers that you loved the most, who you respected the most, who you actually handed in your homework for. It's not the ones that were the most strict. It's the ones who cared about you, who showed a special interest, who loved you. That 10 years later, when you go back to the school, they're the ones that remember your name. Those are the ones that had an influence on you. They're the ones that you would listen to, not because they had the best rules, but because they loved you, because we were made and want to live in response to love. Some of you have teenagers, and you try, and you try, and you try to make them clean their room, and you try and get them to help with chores, and they're not having any of it, and you try and, like, delay the, the giving them money, and it's like, listen, 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 if you want your allowance, you have to do this first, and you just, you try everything, 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 and they just won't do it, and then all of a sudden, that special someone comes over for dinner, and they're cleaning their room, and they're doing dishes, and you're like, what got into them? Love got into him. Love got into her. Because there's something, as human beings, we don't get excited about rules. We don't get excited about being told you have to or else. We get excited when someone loves us. And we do things we would never do because all of us were designed and created to live in response to love. Why that's so valuable is because in the last few weeks, we've been in the series on forgiveness. And if we're honest, I mean, it's been dredging up some emotions. I mean, home group for you maybe has been like home group for me. It's been heavy. There's lots of questions going on. And the questions aren't, are you sure this is in the Bible? Are you sure there's not like a little asterisk saying it wasn't the original manuscript? Are you sure we're supposed to forgive? Like nobody's really asking that question. You know what they're asking? They're saying, but how do we do it? How do we do it? 
How do we do it? Where do we get the strength? Where do we get the motivation? Where do we get the power to forgive? The thing that's coming up in your home groups, if they're anything like mine, is simply this. I can't. I can't find the strength. I don't know how to forgive. Well, the thing I want to tell you today is that today we're not going to go through all the nitty-gritty. That's next week. And next week, VJ, you do not, you do not, you do not want to miss it. He's going to help us. He's going to give us this image. It's going to give you some handholds as to how to actually do this process of forgiveness and to begin this journey. But today, I want to go behind the scenes, and I want to explain to you the motivation and the strength of where forgiveness comes from. And the thing I want to tell you is simply this. It's not a rule. It's not a policy. It's not a command. It's a relationship. Today, when we open up the scriptures, we're going to discover that the, the motivation and the strength to forgive comes from a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's get to the passage. So Luke chapter 7, if you want to turn there with your Bible, your device, however you get there, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, we're going to start reading in a moment. So if you can turn there, that would be awesome. Okay. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, the thing that we discover a little bit later in the story is that when Jesus showed up at the house, he was not shown hospitality. That he showed up, and the thing to do in that culture was you hug them, you kiss them, you anoint their head with oil, and then you, or most likely a slave or servant that you have hired, would wash the person's feet. Everyone in that culture walked around with sandals, the roads were not clean, and they had animals walking. So you could just imagine the kind of things that built up on your feet. And so the first thing as a hospitable guest, you had your guest's feet washed for them, okay? And then after, and so, so that's normally the process that would happen. And what we discovered later in the story is that, that that did not happen. Jesus was not shown hospitality in that way, okay? And then it says Jesus was reclining at the table, okay? For all those of you who are like taking note of this and be like, Jesus sat in his lazy boy and ate dinner. Why can't I? No, no. It's not what it's saying, okay? Reclining at the table is something very different. Do you want me, do you want me to visual or just explain to you? Fit, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Here we go. So you need to, I mean, because we're going back 2,000 years. Culture's different. So let's just build some space here. Okay. So in that culture, this is how you ate dinner. Okay. So you got into someone's house. Can y'all see me here? Okay. So, hey. Okay. So, no, no. You, you literally, you lay here on your left side. Your right hand was, was for eating. And then your feet, they kind of went out a little bit. And then everyone kind of made a circle. And so, kind of awkward. But then everyone's head was next to your feet. And it kind of went around the circle. And it's kind of comfortable. We should all try this today. But anyways. Okay. So that's, that's how you ate. Now imagine Jesus, who's just walked on this dirty road. His feet are stinky. I mean, you just imagine he's kind of self-conscious, you know, because now his feet smell and some next guy has his head there. It's awkward, okay? But that's what's happening. And so Jesus is at the table reclining, and uh, it, it's a little, you know, sticky situation. Anyway, so then a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, let me just pause there for a second, okay? Historians, when they look at this, they're like, either she was a prostitute or married to someone who's involved in some sort of serious criminal activity so that when she walks in, everyone's like, mm-mm. Okay, that's kind of what's happened, okay? So a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, okay? Not strange at all in this culture to walk into someone's house when they're having guests over for dinner, okay? I know that would be very strange if someone just walks into your house. Not then. They'd leave the door open and you could come, stand behind them, and listen to the dialogue that they were having. So this woman walks in and she's prepared. She's brought perfume. And then the story takes a little bit of an interesting turn. As she stood behind Jesus, so she's standing behind him, she can see his feet. The feet have, the, have not been washed. At she, as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. 
Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. You see, this was not planned. She brought perfume, but she did not bring the things to clean someone's feet. She showed up to do something, but not this. You see, she walks in, and all of a sudden, she sees Jesus' feet have not been cleaned. He has not been treated lovingly. He has not been treated hospitably. And she just drops down, and she's just like, someone's got to wash his feet, and I don't have a towel. I don't have, I don't have water. I don't have anything. So she begins to cry, and as she's crying, she uses her tears, and then she's like, what, what can I use? And she uses, I know all the women are cringing at this moment, but she takes her hair, and she lowers it. With the, in that culture, you don't even lower your hair. It's just, it, it was a cultural thing. You never do that unless you're alone with your husband. But she's just, she's got to do something, because this is a bad situation, and she starts rubbing, just imagine what would have happened to her hair. And she starts wiping Jesus's feet because she wants to clean it because that's the way that you show love and that's the way that you show hospitality. To which you start to think, what would possess her to do that? Because the reality is someone could offer us $100 to wash their feet with our hair and we would never, ever do it. You couldn't pay me to do that, and I'm pretty sure you're the same category. So what in the world? She wasn't the slave, she wasn't the servant, it wasn't her job to clean Jesus' feet, and yet she drops down and she must clean his feet. She's motivated by something, and you ask, what was she motivated by? And as we're gonna discover as we go through the story, is that this isn't the first time she's met Jesus. That at some point, she has encountered Jesus, she met him, maybe it was a crowd, maybe it was just him and her talking, but at some point, she had an interaction with Jesus, and Jesus told her, your sins, are forgiven, okay? This woman who, she just walks into a room and everyone's like, there's that sinful woman. Jesus walked up to her at some point, whether talking to a crowd or talking to her individually and said, your sins are forgiven. And she was so incredibly blown away by it, she just responded in love. The thing that is motivating her right now is not a rule, is not a policy, is not money, it is love. The thing that motivates you and motivates me. The story continues. I wish my wife was here so she could see what relational tact absence of is what really happens. This is, these guys have absolutely none of it. Okay, so when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus responds, and I love Jesus. He's so much more gracious, gracious than I would have been, right? I would have been like, excuse me, are you going to deal with this situation right here, right? Like, I would have been pretty angry if this is the response from the host who was not hospitable was having. But Jesus is so gentle. He's so loving. He just tells a story. He's like, hey, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. He's like, two guys owed money. One owed 10 times the amount of money that the other person owed. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. It's true. We know this. You imagine, I, I tell this story a lot, but imagine someone was staying at your house, and you come home from work, and they're like, hey, you know, mailman came by today. He brought a bill. I didn't have anything else to do, so I paid it for you. What's the question that you're going to ask them? what bill was it, right? You want to know, like, well, well, which one, right? They're like, oh, it's your Netflix bill. It's like, great, $9, thanks, I'll buy you a Big Mac, right? Like, your response isn't going to be that good, right? But it's like, it was from the CRA. They found you. Apparently, you haven't filed in five years, right? It's like, and you paid that? It's like, yeah, no big sweat, right? It's just like, wow, right? There's something about when someone forgives something big, your response is big. When someone shows great love, gives you a great gift, your response is in kind. It is just as big. And so Jesus says, so which one? And then Simon correctly says, well, I guess the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. He's like, yeah, I guess you've judged correctly. And then the story 
continues. Verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. This woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And then he says, therefore, and when Jesus says, therefore, you know he's getting to the point. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. You see, Jesus wasn't saying, listen, 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 because of what she has done, I've now decided to forgive her. He says, no, 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 no. She was already forgiven, and what she has done is showing that. It is the proof that she has actually been forgiven because she's living in response to love. She's not trying to earn love. She was already shown it at some point, and now she's living in response to it. In fact, I wrote a little summary I want to read for you now. It's going to be on the screen. Here it is. This woman has done this amazing thing, not because of rules, but because of great love that was shown to her. She is simply responding to love. And then Jesus finishes up the story and he says, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, if, if you didn't catch it, what Jesus is doing with this story is that these two people who owe are actually reflective of Simon and this sinful woman. And he's just so gently putting it in a story and, and hoping that the, the other guy just catches it in the story. But he's basically saying, listen, listen, listen. The reason that she's so loving, the reason that she's washing my feet is because she is living in response to love. But Simon, on the other hand, he totally missed it. You see, while she was responding to love, he was busy comparing himself to this woman. And he missed the entire point. You see, Simon was creating groups. He was creating categories. He was comparing. He was measuring. He's saying things in his head like, I would never do that. I would never be like her. He calls her a sinner. And he forgets the obvious thing that every Pharisee should know. Because Pharisees were the religious leaders who read the scriptures all the time. All the time, all the time. They would have known. And if anybody should know this, it should have been him. Then when the scriptures talk about sin... They don't talk about good, better, and best. They don't talk about, well, those are the sinners and we are not the sinners and try not to be the sinners. That's not what the scriptures talk about. The scriptures don't have categories, the things that Simon has created, you know, her and me, us and them. No, 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 the scriptures have one category and it is sinner. That the scriptures describe every human being as enslaved to sin. That all of us are equally in debt. All of us are equally unable to pay for our sin. All of us are lost, hopeless, dead in our sins. These are all of the types of words that the scriptures describe as sin. And this week, maybe in your home groups, if it's anything like our home group, this is the hard thing to swallow. Because then people come back and say, like, well, what about murderers and rapists? I mean, they're so much worse than we are, and then we haven't done that. So yeah, we're not perfect, but at least we're not them. It's like, oh, you're creating categories. But the thing you need to know is that sin is sin. And the scriptures tell us very clearly all have sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And 6.23, the punishment for sin is death. That we want to be like Simon and create categories. Well, we're not as bad. We're not like them and, it, you know, them, us. We love to create categories, but God's like, there's only one category. Don't get it twisted. You're all sinners. And Simon somehow forgot that and missed that. And instead of showing love, withheld forgiveness and judged this woman. If anyone should have known it, should have been him. The reality is you think about your mortgage, right? You don't pay your mortgage. Eventually, they're going to come and take your house. It's like, but, 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 but I know I haven't paid and I know I owe, but at least I don't owe how much that guy, I mean, that guy hasn't paid in even longer and he has more debt than I did. It's like, it doesn't matter. You can't pay your mortgage. They're taking your house. You can, you can point all you want about, well, they have more debt and, you know, that, on and on. You can do that, but it's like the reality is 
is that you both cannot pay. That's what Jesus was talking about in the story. We're gonna go back to verse 41. Look what he says. He says, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. You see, when Simon looked at it, he's like, well, that person had more. He's like, you missed the point. Neither of them had the ability to pay. It's not different categories. They're in the exact same category. Maybe the best way to summarize it, we have it on the screen for you, is that Simon forgot that he was a sinner and withheld forgiveness from another sinner. Simon forgot he was a sinner and withheld forgiveness from another sinner. Let me zero out from that passage, this thing, this thing that happened 2,000 years ago, and let me bring us to reality today. Is it possible that our inability to forgive those who've sinned against us may be rooted in the fact that we've forgotten that we are forgiven sinners? Is it possible that our inability to forgive those who've sinned against us may be rooted in the fact that we have forgotten that we are forgiven sinners? You see, when we withhold forgiveness, we're creating categories. I would never, how could they? They don't deserve, we're creating categories, them and us. But the reality is the scripture saying, no, 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 you're all sinners. You're all in need of a savior. You're all lost without God. See, on the flip side, this woman, she was so aware of the reality. She was so aware of her sin, and she was so aware of Jesus' forgiveness. And you look at the way that her life plays out, she doesn't walk into the room and say, Simon, how could you leave Jesus' feet like this? She doesn't go into judgmental mode. She doesn't, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? Didn't anybody teach you how to host people? She doesn't go into judgment mode. She simply goes into love mode that she simply responds to love. When she's aware of her sin and she's aware of the forgiveness that she has experienced, it flows through her and she pours love onto Jesus. She doesn't judge. She doesn't put into categories like Simon does. She simply responds in love because we're all made to respond to love. The proof, it's up on the screen, the proof that you have experienced love and forgiveness is that you show love and forgiveness. The proof that you've experienced love and forgiveness is that you show love and forgiveness. Or maybe a simpler way to say that is forgiven sinners forgive sinners. Forgiven sinners, forgive sinners. Now, the question that maybe comes to your mind, it came up in our home group for sure, is this, this simple question, like, so if I can't forgive, if I'm unable to forgive, this one person is so genuine, they're like, does that mean I'm not holy? Does that mean I don't have a strong relationship with God? Like, did I, you know, am I doing something wrong? It's like, no, 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 no. So here's, here's maybe a better way to explain it, okay? Your inability to forgive is not a dead end. It's not a place to say, ah, oh, well, if I can't forgive, then I just must not be loving and God's spirit isn't in me and woe is me, right? Not, that's not the point, okay? Your inability to forgive is not a dead end, but a signpost reminding you that there is more of Jesus's love and forgiveness to experience. Your inability to forgive is not a dead end, but a signpost reminding you that there is more of Jesus's love and forgiveness to experience. You see, whenever we're faced with an inability to forgive, we need to pause and simply realize we are standing not in this woman's shoes, but we are standing in Simon's shoes, okay? Somehow along the way, we are either unaware or have become unaware of this very simple fact. We've forgotten this great contrast that the scriptures say that we are sinners and there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's terrible news, I know. But then God, Romans 5, 8, in his great love for us, even while we were still sinners, died for us, forgave us. That amazing contrast, if we don't have that, we've forgotten it, we've stepped into Simon's shoes, and we need to find a way to get back into this woman's shoes. 
where she knows that she's a sinner, but she also has experienced Jesus's love. And that's when forgiveness can flow through us, that we've experienced it and we live in response to it. So how do we do that? How do we move from his perspective to her perspective? From someone who judges and creates categories to someone who lives in response to that love and can freely forgive, we need to be aware of this epic contrast. And the way that we do that is remind ourselves that we are sinners. That there's this great exercise called confession. You may have grown up and have all different ideas about what is confession and do you go to a box and who do you talk to? Confession is simply this. It's when you are praying to God and confronting and standing and seeing all the things that you are doing that make you a sinner. Here's a great summary. uh, Confession is a daily reminder of who I am. Okay, for me, it it comes up in my prayer life every single day. Every single day, I I have ADHD, so I I can't just sit and pray because then I start daydreaming and I see a bird and it's it's bad, right? So I actually prayer journal. So I literally, I type up all my prayers because then even if I get distracted, I can just kind of come back. Oh yeah, hey God, right? Like, so I just do that. And so one of the things I do is like, I just have confession and there's days, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm like, I don't even want to confess because I don't want to be in a Word document because what if somebody finds this, right? Like, it's hard. It's ugly. And so why would you do this? And Tony summarized it so well in your home group questions this week. And so I just want to read straight from the home group questions. It's on the screen again. Facing our own sinfulness, confession, being real and honest with God. He's already aware of it. Okay. You're not confessing because God's like, you did what? No, no. He's aware. He knows. Okay. It's a daily reminder. Okay. So facing our own sinfulness may seem like a difficult and unpleasant thing to do. But when we see our sin, we're set up to meet the Savior and to experience God's forgiveness, grace, and love for ourselves. The news is bad. Sin is bad. The reality, when we look in the mirror and are honest with ourselves, it's bad. And if that was the only part of the story, then I'd say, don't don't look in the mirror. Don't confess. Don't be real. But the amazing thing is that Jesus, in his grace, came to the earth and died to forgive us of those sins. Unless you understand your sin, his grace makes no sense, and you cannot experience it. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, when we confess, when we're real about our sin, then all of a sudden, the news of Jesus is such great news to our lives. We experience his love that much more, and then, and then, and then we have the ability to pour that love on others. Because we're made not to live in response to rules, but in response to love. Forgiven sinners, forgive sinners. Let me tell you one story because I realize that this is gonna be a journey. This is gonna be years and years. I've been doing this for years. I've been prayer journaling since I was 16. I don't come to my prayer journal like, guess what? Today I'm perfect, it never happens. You just continue to discover more and more and more of your sinful nature and discover more and more of how beautiful Jesus is. And here's maybe an image of what it looks like when you journey down this road long enough. Uh, David Hearn, some of you know him. He's the, the, the leader or the president of our denomination or family of churches in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You're a part of that family connection. My church is a part of that family. And uh, he tells a story of his mom who at the time was in her 80s. And uh, he says this, not me, but he says she's practically deaf and her friend is practically deaf. And so when they have phone calls together, it's two old ladies yelling at each other. Just picture that, right? And he says, one day they're on the phone having a conversation and, uh, and some young man sneaks into the house, steals David Hearn's mom's keys and wallet and steals her car, okay? 
few hours later, the cops show up and they're like, ma'am, we found your car. The young man who stole it crashed it, but we got him and here's your wallet that he stole. And she's like, someone stole my car? She had no idea, right? And they're like, sorry, the wallet, it's only got $20, or it's only got $35 left. And she's like, it only had 20 when I last saw it, right? Like, it's this, this awesome story, right? And so then, you know, they caught him. He's off to jail and she calls David, David Hearn up uh, a few months later and she's like, David, I need you to take me to court today. And he's like, why? She's like, well, that young man is being sentenced today. And so I'd like to go to court. And he's like, mom, you don't need to go to court. You don't need to. She's like, David. Say, like, okay, mom. Okay, well, let's go to court. So he shows up to court and he's there and he's a, he's a pastor at this time in the Alliance. And he recognizes another guy that's there. And so he walks over and he's like, hey, what are you doing here? And the guy's actually an elder in one of their Alliance churches. And he's like, well, actually, I'm a, a criminal defense lawyer and I'm defending a young man who stole an older lady's car. So David's like, well, I want you to do a bad job defending him. So he really goes to prison for a long, no, I'm kidding. That's not what he said at all. So David's like, well, my mom's here and she has something to say to that young man. So let's go and talk to the judge. And so they go to talk to the judge and David Hearn's mom's like, listen, I believe that we are forgiven by Jesus and we are called to let that love and forgiveness flow through us. And so I want to forgive that young man. To which the judge is like, you Christians are always messing with the system, right? And so anyway, so she, in this moment, she's waiting in court. The judge is like, ma'am, you have something to share. And she just turns to the young man and she says, young man, Jesus has forgiven me. And so who am I to withhold forgiveness? I want you to know. And this 80-something-year-old woman just throws her arms out and she's like, I forgive you. And the judge is like, do you have anything to say for yourself? And this kid's just blown away, a 20-year-old kid, right? He's like, he's like um, I'm sorry, right? He just, and then the judge is like, listen, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. But because of what's just happened here, I'm going to cut your sentence in half. Part of me wonders, you know, what, what happened in that jail cell? As he kind of lay there thinking and replaying what happened in court. You know, because we live in a world where you have to work and earn and deserve everything you get. And he steps into this court after having offended someone. And she comes back with love and grace saying, well, Jesus showed it to me. So I'm showing it to you. Eight years later. David Hearn gets a text message, and it's a picture text from that elder, and this is the picture right here. It says, hey David, here's a picture of a young man getting baptized, telling an entire church that he is a forgiven sinner in need of a savior, and that young man is the one who stole your mother's car. And not only that, he sent another picture, and he said, and, and here's his mom, who was also in court that day, who also saw this craziness go on. And now here she is, having been a Christian only five weeks at this point, giving her life to Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen if the 250 adults in both of our churches would draw in, would lean in and say, I want to understand this contrast. I want to understand the brokenness of my own sin. And then I want to understand and experience the great love of Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in our families? Can you imagine what would happen in our community groups? Can you imagine what would happen in our workplace, in our schools, in our community groups, in our home groups? Can you imagine what would happen if forgiven sinners who have experienced Jesus' love, would go out and live not in response to rules, not in response to policies, not in response to commands, but in response to the love of Jesus that was flowing through them. Where do we begin? By discovering who we are and who Jesus is. Or 
Tony comes up and uh, shares a few announcements. I just want to take this opportunity now and just bless you as you leave this place. Uh, bless you not with this weight that I think many of us have been carrying with this idea of forgiveness of how and what and what about, but just a freedom to discover that it is his love that when it flows through you, forgiveness comes. I just want to bless you with an excitement to discover more and more of that love in your own personal times with him, in your times around the dinner table, in your community groups, that you may just have this desire to understand his love for you.